0: Is A to Z with Mark Zeno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you it's time to face reality. Welcome in live on this Monday. Certainly appreciate you guys starting your Monday with us here on Locked On Sports Atlanta and A to Z. Hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. Weather was gorgeous here uh, in the Atlanta suburbs. Hope you guys made the most of it. A big show for you guys. this afternoon. We'll get back into the Falcons in the NFL draft, which is just four days away as well. People are pushing the panic button for the Atlanta Braves, and I can't understand why we'll do all that coming up on the show today. But first, we start with the Atlanta Hawks, uh, who find themselves in a 3-1 hole against the Miami Heat. And I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Um, this Heat team is good. They're really good, and they are markedly better than the Hawks. I, I-, I didn't want to be all doom and gloom before this series started But I kind of feel like I forecasted this going into the series, and it manifested itself last night in Game 4. You look at all the momentum that the Hawks had, right? They had a game winner from Trey in Game 3 to make it a 2-1 series. Uh, They get Clint Capella back. The Heat get a late scratch in Kyle Lowry, and the Hawks get out to a lead in the second quarter, an eight-point lead, and everything is going their way. And then something happened. Miami said, bleep this. That's exactly what happened. They said, bleep this, and we are better than this team, and now is when we're going to show it, 26-4 to 4 run, and it was done by halftime. Uh, and I've said this repeatedly about the Miami defense throughout this series. They have an ability to turn it up whenever they want. Uh, Trey Young, who had nine points, that's twice in this series, by the way, he has been held to less than 10 points, hasn't, hasn't scored in double digits. Folks, everybody keeps saying Trey has to get going, Trey has to get going. Guys, this is not Trey's fault. It is not. I will defend him to the hill on this one. This is not his problem. He is being suffocated because he is the only legitimate scoring option on this team. And Miami has said, fine, we'll let anybody else attempt to beat us, but it's not going to be Trey Young. They suffocate him. They stay on top of him. They don't give him clean looks. Trey is relegated to 40-foot three-pointers near the logo because that's the most open he's going to be throughout the entire offensive set. Miami's defense is too good. You just have to acknowledge it. You're not as good as this team. You can't beat them. Uh, your bugaboo is defense. You can't slow them down. It It's a bad matchup all around for the Hawks. I I, I don't know how else to be blunt about this without sounding like a negative Nelly or sounding like I'm taking a dump on the Hawks. I'm not taking a dump on the Hawks. This is a fun team and it's an exciting team. It's a young team, but they're not as good as Miami. And the other thing that's been quite exposed in this series, unfortunately is Nate McMillan, who is getting outcoached at every single turn of this series possible. And had it not been for Trey making that floater, If that floater hits the back of the rim and pops out, guess what? You've been swept. I mean, that's the margin right now that we're in from things looking completely awful. And you got beat by a one seed. You're an eight seed. We really should have expected this kind of narrative. That's where we are. I mean, honestly, you have to look objectively about where we are with the Atlanta Hawks and where this team is without John Collins being 100% healthy, and I've said it before, I said it all last week, and I've said it again last night, and I'll say it again here one more time. Without John Collins being 100% healthy and being able to be a legitimate second scoring threat, and by a legitimate second scoring threat, I mean a guy who could score 20 a night, 19, 20 a night. That's where Collins is. Without that, without having to divert some defensive attention away from Trey Young to another legitimate scorer, guess what? It's somebody else go beat us. And when the Hawks don't get four or five other scorers in double figures the way they did in game three, they can't beat a good defensive team like Miami. They can just key on Trey. And Trey even said it after the game. He acknowledged that he hadn't seen double teams. He hadn't seen defense like that in quite some time because no one's guarded him that well. And it's not because Trey is unguardable per se, right? Like Trey is, and that's not a knock on him. Like, That's not his game. Like, handles aren't his thing, and working around guys aren't his thing. Trey picks his spots very well. He's a great shooter. Uh, He's a very streaky shooter. He obviously can hit threes at will from anywhere on the floor. Um, But Trey's guardable. Trey doesn't, like, create a ton of his own shots all that often, Um, at least not from what I see. I mean, you can choose to disagree with me on that. I'm trying to think of, you know, ways that Trey – creates his own shot on a routine basis where he works through traffic, dribble, drive. I mean, you know, Trey looks for holes in the defense and exploits them. That's what he's good at. He's got great vision. And Miami limited his vision and has for four games. Uh, so this is all over but but the crying at this point in time. Um, I, I just don't see how the Hawks can get back into this thing. Uh, and, and, again, I know I sound like, you know, the negative guy, but I'm just facing reality here. Uh, and what I f- kind of felt was the situation before this series started, they're just not as good as they are at all and that to me is a little problematic um and you have to start to ask the bigger question and we talked a little bit about this with chris Kirshner of the athletic last week because you know while it's a fait accompli complete that Miami is going to win this thing it's just a matter of when you really start to ask the question i know it's early to start but we're going to ask this question repeatedly throughout the entire hawks season you can do a lot of things there's a lot of options on the table to make this hawks team better the one thing you can't do is run it back as is. And you know that. Because if you run it back as is, objectively, you're still the sixth best team in the conference. Maybe. Maybe the sixth best team. If you get somebody like Miami or Boston or somebody to fall off. Because you're still behind Milwaukee. You're still behind Brooklyn uh, with a healthy Ky- Kyrie and Kevin Durant and uh, you know the new lineup that they have. I think you're still behind those guys. Uh, you're still going to be behind Philadelphia. You're still behind Boston, Miami, and who else are we missing here? I'm missing one other team. Can't even remember. Doesn't matter. Objectively, you're the sixth best team on a good day. So uh it's unfortunate, but that's that's where this whole thing is. And Toronto. Toronto's the other team I was missing, but you might be better than those guys. So regardless, you can't run it back the same way it was. You just can't. It's it's not it's not feasible. So unfortunately, the Hawks you know, have to take a little bit of a dose here. And part of that change going forward, and I'm only asking the question. I'm not advocating anything. I'm only asking the question about Nate McMillan. Is he the right guy? I'm not going to try to answer it. I'm not going to make an opinion one way or another. I'm being perfectly clear in this. I'm not saying he is or he isn't. I'm asking you, the listener, the question. Is one of the things that has to change Nate McMillan? I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is that he's been thoroughly outcoached, outschemed, and outsmarted by Eric Spolster in this series. That is obvious, and that is evident. That happens. Doesn't mean he's a bad coach. Doesn't mean he should be fired. Doesn't mean that you have to move on from it. Doesn't mean any of those things. In this series in particular, he's been outcoached by a large margin. And so as you progress into the offseason, and I know I have to wait until it's officially over, because it's kind of over, but it's not officially over yet. So let's wait till it's officially over before we actually really start to look for an answer to that question. But I'll put the the thought in your mind now. Is Nate McMillan the right guy to get you over the top? It's a fair question. All right, uh, we got a lot to do here on the show today. As I mentioned, lots of draft talk coming up this entire week as we get set for the Falcons. What are they going to do at 8? That's coming up next as well. Why are people panicking over the Atlanta Braves? All that and more coming up right here on A to Z, right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On ATL, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back into A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, just now three days away from the NFL draft. And of course, we have no idea what the Atlanta Falcons are going to do. Joining us now from Locked On Falcons podcast, Aaron Freeman joins us right here on A to Z. Aaron, welcome. Good to see you, brother. I am glad to be back with you as uh, I hit the right button here and welcome you in. There we go. Welcome in, brother. Good to see you, man. Um, Yeah, so we are three days away here, and I don't know that we're any closer whatsoever to figuring out what the Falcons are going to do. Uh, I I guess I just have one simple request here, uh, and that is, can we just please get the obvious easy thing to happen for the Falcons just once. Like just once. Is that too much to ask?
1: No, I mean this is how the Falcons roll. They have to make things complicated. They have to make things difficult. Uh you know, I I last night I broke down I thought five players that the Falcons could take at pick number 8. None of them were wide receivers and so I wake up this morning with all the various NFL insiders saying the Falcons are going to take a wide receiver eight. So uh, you, you never know what's going to happen with this football
0: team. I mean, look, I've said this for the last week, and I don't think the last time you and I got together, um, I said it to you, but like at this point, my puke factor for the Falcons taking a wide receiver is zero. It's the smallest thing. Like there's not a wide receiver out there. That's going to make me go, okay, I'm okay. with. I, I don't care. It's just, it seems so derelict. In Terry Fontenot's duties to draft a wide receiver at this point, there are—it's not even about other needs and other holes. I—I'm I, simply asking, how does that wide receiver make you better? Not even this year, next year, you've got to figure out other things first: how to get the quarterback, how to run the ball, how to protect the quarterback, how to stop the run. Like at, at what point in time does? essentially another wide out for two years in a row, not scream you're the Detroit lions.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the same questions I have, Mark. Uh, It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like obviously at some point you're going to need weapons for whoever that quarterback is going to be to throw to, but that's not the time frame. That's not the period of time in the, in this rebuild that the Falcons are in currently. They are in where they just need the basics, the offensive line, the defense, the quarterback. They just need to establish that foundation. And then after that point, then they can go get that wide receiver once they've established that they've checked all those other boxes.
0: Yeah. And look, I mean, I don't make no I got a good relationship with Thomas Dimitrov. I always support him. I thought he was a great GM. Uh, and and I certainly and not going to rail on his regime because on the whole, in the macro, and I talked about this last week, they were really successful, um, all things considered. Aside from that, what I'm saying now for this new regime is don't make the same mistakes the last one made. Don't do the same things that the last – the reason you're here, and the reason the last regime got let go was because the same things they kept doing clearly weren't making an impact enough of a difference. Don't take a wide receiver because it's such a previous regime kind of thing to do. Like it, it says we've learned nothing. Last regime was bad in the trenches. Why doesn't this regime be good in the trenches? Like, start there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You you know, you go back to when Thomas Dimitrov came up with the idea of having that sort of 1A, 1B, number one wide receiver with Roddy White and Julio Jones. The Falcons had their quarterback. They had a pretty good offensive line. They had a really good run game. They had a defense. They were the number one seed the previous year. They were 13-3 and three that year, and they decided, hey, this wide receiver in Julio Jones, let's trade it all. Because uh, he's going to be the thing that's going to put this team over the top. And he was almost correct in that assessment because they went to the NFC championship game a couple years later. And, you know, as uh, people often say, they're 10 yards away from the Super Bowl. But The lesson there is you don't get the wide receiver before you have all those things established. If you have those things established, then you can go get the wide receiver to put you over the top. You look at a team like Buffalo with Josh Allen, they went out and got Stephon Diggs once they had already established themselves as a sort of second round of the playoff sort of team, and that was their ceiling. Then they went out and got a a big time wide receiver that helped put them in Super Bowl contention. And I think that's the way that you build it you build the foundation, the quarterback, the offensive line, the defense first, then you go get the wide receiver. And it feels like that's what the the Falcons should be doing with this eighth overall selection. You can get a wide receiver later in the draft. Obviously it's a big need for the team, but it just baffles me for the Falcons to kind of neglect some core areas of the roster and a wide receiver is just simply not going to help them be able to run the football. It's not going to protect their quarterback. It's not going to stop opposing teams um, from putting points on the board. What it will do is in the fourth quarter, when the Falcons are down two or three scores, they'll be able to pad their stats a little bit uh, and, and make things interesting. A la the Blake Bortles led Jacksonville Jaguars. But that's about the best case scenario for taking a wide receiver at eight.
0: Oh man, uh I'm sorry I didn't mean to chuckle at that, but it just you know brought back a lot of fond memories. Uh okay, I know my reasons and, and the way I make the case for them taking a quarterback. I want you to make the case for them taking a quarterback.
1: Well, you I think the the main case is that you, you need to energize this fan base. No no one's going to the games. No one feels like this team right now is worth going to the games. We know this is a rebuild year that we know this is gonna be a rough year, and um if you give the fans a quarterback that they can glom onto someone like a Malik Willis, who's an exciting football player on the field, it will give people reasons to go to the stadium this season to endure probably 17 games of pretty rough football. And that will be a thing where people can sit there and say, Hey, this guy's got a bright future ahead of us. It's probably going to be a a rough rookie season, but once we get that cap space, once we put weapons around him, Uh, that will be something to build upon for the future. So I think that's the main justification for taking quarterback, not because you're going to put him in a situation that is going to be conducive to his success, but just simply you want to check that box right away and and get some energy back into this fan base. Aaron, do you
0: buy the premise that it's okay for the Falcons to trade back and take a quarterback at 18
1: or 20, but it's not okay for them to do it at eight? I think you you can better justify it if you trade back because you're getting an extra pick uh, probably on on day two to address another need um, rather than pulling the trigger at at eight. Because, you know, I just when you're a team that professes the philosophy of best player available, it's you'd be hard pressed to convince me that a quarterback is one of the eight best players in this draft class. Right. Certainly it's a significant need. Um, But you could convince me that a quarterback is maybe one of the 18 best players in this draft class. And so if you're building a draft board uh, and, you know, you know, being loyal to that draft board, it, it could be easier to justify for me if you trade back into round one and take that quarterback a little bit later than necessarily, I think, reaching on that quarterback in the top 10 of the draft.
0: Aaron, so when the Falcons get on the board at eight, if they don't trade, the interesting part is, is that they have three teams in front of them with multiple picks. The Texans, the Jets, and the Giants all have multiple first round picks. Those are teams that can throw the Falcons draft plans, so to speak, out of whack. Not their draft board, but you know, every team in the top 10 is sitting there predicting how they think it's going to go and what may be available what versus what. Because... We have a limited amount of time to pick up the phone and make some calls to figure out who would be a dance partner to make a trade with. That said, uh, there's no way the Falcons are trading up to get a player, is there?
1: The quick answer is there's no way. I I can't imagine that happening. So, yeah, I can't see a scenario where they are willing to give up their premium draft capital to go
0: get a player. What if the trade includes not giving up draft capital but – somebody like Grady Jarrett let's say hypothetically speaking you trade up to three and give the Texans Grady Jarrett and that's all you, you know I, Grady in a fifth round pick whatever it may be to move up five spots uh and and you can end up getting Kayvon Thibodeau right there you know like that like that kind of deal I don't think that that's a bad deal for the Falcons it's curious but I don't know that it's a bad deal
1: I mean, I guess it's plausible. I, I guess I, the question I have is, do you feel good enough about a defensive player in this draft class to give away your one proven good stud on the front line? And do you feel like that young player? Yeah, if somehow
0: and, Travon Walker and Kayvon Thibodeau go one, two, and Aiden Hutchinson is sitting there at three, then yes, I could justify a trade up to three, yes.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the, ultimately the question you have to answer. Do you feel good enough about one of these defensive linemen to justify that trade?
0: Yes and no. Like I said, again, I, I think that there is, a, there's a way to justify it. It's just, you know, theoretically that's, that's Grady Jarrett netting you a first round pick, right? That's yeah. the same thing that to me is the same thing. Now, again, I, if they're going to trade Grady, I would like them to get a first round pick next year. Cause I think it's more valuable next year for them than this year to get two impact players in the first round next year when they actually can, you know, start to really complete this roster. Um, so I think it's better to get the first round pick next year, but you wouldn't, if you get one of those guys, if you get one of the top three, right. Whether it's Aiden, Trayvon Walker, or Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, I think you could justify it for those three. I think one of those three justifies it for me beyond that. I think you could wait on Jermaine Johnson. Um, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not opposed to an offensive tackle in this draft. I would actually like it it would signal to me a completely different philosophy about the organization if they were smart enough to take one of the left tackles if they're there at eight.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm a big fan of Kwanu from North Carolina State. Um, I feel like he checks the boxes of what Arthur Smith, at least I believe Arthur Smith wants to build, which is a, a nasty physical run blocking team. Uh, he, he played in an outside zone scheme at North Carolina State that uh, the Falcons offensive line coach, Dwayne Lefford, you know, sort of established there a couple of years ago. The Falcons hired an assistant coach recently that was an assistant there these last couple of years. Dwayne Ledford helped recruit Icky Aquano to NC State. So uh, he he checks a lot of the boxes I'm looking for, but it feels unlikely that given how many offensive line needy teams are picking ahead of the Falcons, that he's going to fall there to eight. Um, yeah. So, you know, if there's an alternate scenario I mean, where you could trade up to get him. I was going to
0: say, could a guy like Charles Cross
1: interest you? I, I'm a big fan of Charles Cross. Um, I guess my only concern about Charles Cross is I feel like his ideal situation is going to a team, sorry, where he's going to be the left tackle. I I want him as a plug and play left tackle. And I feel like coming to Atlanta and forcing him to play like right tackle for two or three years that Jake Matthews is here is, I, I think he can do it, but like, it's just, it doesn't feel like the perfect synergy of a pick. I, I want him to sure. come in day one, be my left tackle, and I feel like he'll be that guy for 10 years, and he won't necessarily do that in Atlanta because he might be stuck playing right tackle for two or three years uh, before doing that.
0: Uh, let me throw another name at you that Michael Rothstein and I bandied about from ESPN.com and the From the Perch podcast. Uh, and, and this doesn't bother me at eight. Uh, some people may think it's high, but I've also heard some people say that this individual may be the best individual player at their position by a considerable margin in this draft, and that's Kyle Hamilton. Uh, and his safety fits very well in Dean Peace's defense. Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that can do all the thing that Dean Peace wants him to do in that defense. So, uh, yeah, uh, w- would Kyle Hamilton bother you?
1: No, he would not. Um, as you said, I think you can make a pretty easy case that he's one of the best players in this draft class. If you're strictly buying that best player available philosophy, he definitely fits that and checks that box. I think he brings a lot to the table as a defender. Uh, My only concern is I feel like if you're going to take a safety that high, you have to build your defense around that safety. I think Kyle Hamilton has the skill set that you can do that and you can use him in a variety of ways. You can play him deep. You can play him in the box. You can use him as a linebacker in in dime and nickel situations. So I I think Dean Pease has the experience and, and, and knowledge to build their defense around him, but if the Falcons are just going to plug and play with him and, and treat him like a quote unquote normal safety, that to me feels like a little bit of a stretch. You can get a normal safety in, on day two of the draft that you can just sort of plug and play with as uh, you know, just a, a piece that you fit into your defense. If you're taking Kyle Hamilton at eight, to me, you are making a, a firm commitment to this guy's going to be the centerpiece of our defense and all the things that we do schematically are going to revolve around him. And I think, you know, that makes a ton of sense given the skill set he has. But uh, look for the
0: I, Ravens, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, not the same scenario by any stretch of imagination. I uh, know, oh, by the way, while we're talking safeties, uh, I said this last week when I saw the headline and the news came out, but I am not opposed to them taking a flyer on old Thomas. He'll, he'll make the veteran minimum. Nobody's got any reason to take a chance on him. Um, he doesn't have to be like a teacher to any of the young guys, but just going out there and playing, he fits what Dean Peace does physically. Clearly, Dean Peace likes the kind of safety that Earl Thomas has. I don't know if he's – I don't think he's the same player he was in Seattle, obviously. But, again, uh, from a pure need standpoint, I don't think he can get hurt. He's going to be cheap. I, I, he's, he's not going to be anything that's going to cost you any money.
1: Yeah, I think the thing with Earl Thomas is, you know, the last couple of stops, stops he had, he was not necessarily what, loved in the locker room. And so that's the sure. main thing that you you want to get correct. If, if you're good with his locker room presence – um, and and you, you know, I don't want to sit here and say he's a bad guy or anything like that, but like, just I, we know in Baltimore it did not work because he was not a great fit there. And you do wonder, a strong
0: personalities there in Baltimore, yeah.
1: You, you do wonder if, if you can't make it work in Baltimore, are, are you going to necessarily make it work in LA? That would be the one pause I, I give for that conversation.
0: All right, brother. Well, we got an interesting night on Thursday night. Make sure you guys tune into Locked on Falcons with the host right here, Aaron Freeman. Follow him on Twitter at Falcfans, F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. Always great to talk to you, brother. Thanks for the time. Certainly appreciate it, man. And uh, stay well and, you know, uh, what's that? Keep calm and just wait till 8th pick, right? Wait till the 8th pick. That's all you need to do. <laughs> okay.
1: I look forward to complaining about the Falcons to get a wide receiver with you. On yeah. <laughs>
0: You'll hear it from me first. All right, Aaron Freeman, Locked On Falcons podcast. Appreciate it, brother. Uh, take the time out, come back, and wrap things up with people who are way too wound up about the Atlanta Braves. That's next right here on ABC on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports ATL. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Wrapping things up on this Monday. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zino M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Locked On Sports Atlanta at Locked On ATL. Check out all the great shows we got here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Not only is it A to Z, it's hitting hard with John Chukry, ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tony Batiste. Don't forget about our Braves postcast with Grant McCauley. Locked On Hawks, Locked On Falcons. Everything you need for Atlanta sports right here on the lockdown On Sports Network. Speaking of uh, the Atlanta Braves, they lose two of three from Miami. Uh, and it was a, you know, not interesting weekend for the Braves from the standpoint of it, it, people are starting to fret about the idea of them losing two of three to the Miami Marlins because Miami is supposed to be bad, and you're not supposed to lose to bad teams. And, guys, they have played 17 games. If you want to do some higher math, guess what? That's just a little bit over the little more than 10% of the season is gone. You have to learn to chill out. You can't already start losing your mind over being 7 and 10 at this point in the season. Like it, it's just not worth Oh, they're 5 games behind the Mets. Yeah, guess what? You think the Mets are going to play 700 baseball the entire season? They're 12 and 5 right now. They will come back. 17 games gone. It's nothing. And people are screaming right now for Ronald Acuna to be called up from AAA and brought back. And a friend of mine who works in Atlanta Media posted a poll, do you want Ronald Acuna called up today, now? And 68% of people said yes. And I responded with, if you say yes to this, you're a fool. And the responses on my Twitter account were, and I'll read some of them to you. Uh, Here we go. Why? If he's ready, he's ready. Uh, where does he play make a difference? If he can play in Triple A, he can play in MLB. I forgot about the rule that makes it impossible to get hurt in the minors. If he's feeling good and wants to come up, do it. Uh, you know, these are all the 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 responses that I'm getting. Uh, and what people don't understand is, you know, there's a couple of things that play here why they're not rushing him up. Number one, okay, is they want to run his body through every single example of what he's going to experience at the major league level to see how it reacts right before he re-injures it so what's it like for his body to play a game get on a plane land somewhere will it swell will it hurt will it be sore not that he's necessarily going to re-injure it what's it like to play a day game after a night game how is his body reacting not that he's going to re-injure it but what does his body have to go through to make sure that he's 100 percent ready and we all know that game reps are not the same thing as practice reps. And while it's not practiced down at AAA, the game reps are different than simulated at-bats, running, and shagging, fly. It's just a different level of output for the body. So they're testing all of these things to see how he reacts. Furthermore, the last thing they want to do is bring him up to have him re it and then have to put him back on the DL. And lastly... What they don't want to have to do, and everybody's forgetting this, if you bring him up, guess what you have to do to somebody else? Get them off the roster. These guys have X number of options that they could be sent back to the minors or they have to be released or whatever it is. And so deciding who that person is going to be and figuring out what that move is and the long-term implications of it aren't something you want to waste on a guy who may get hurt a week later and end up back on the injured list. I mean, that's all of the stuff that goes into this, guys. And the idea that we are worried about three or four games in April is ludicrous. I know every game counts. I'm not saying it doesn't. And I'm not saying that if they end up missing winning the division by one game, you can go, well, if they had Ronald Acuna back on April 25th, they would have won that game and we would be in first place now. you, You can play that ridiculous game if you want. But I could also point to the five blown saves that are going to happen throughout the year. I could also point to the the the, the error that causes uh, an extra run to score that loses. I mean, there's 162 games in baseball. I could pick out 20 bad ones and go. If this would have happened, they have won and be, their record be different. Happens to every team. So, and that's not the point. And I had another friend of me to say, "Well, they're not going to win a division at this rate." I'm like, "Dude, 17 games in. What do you mean, they're not going to win a division. Stop. That's ridiculous." That's number one. Number two, they don't have to win the division. All the Braves legitimately have to do is avoid the the, the one game wild card playoff. Get in the playoffs. Be a two or three seed. Fine. Be one of the, be one of the the those seats. Just you know, avoid the one game wild card. I guess you have to win the division to do that. But so what? This team is experienced enough for that. They don't need to win the division. I mean, look what they went through last year to win the whole thing. Come on. You know they could be the they could be the fourth wild card. They could be the one wild card that doesn't have to play. in like the, they can be a wild card and not play in the wild card game. The last two wild cards play, and the fourth one gets in. So whatever. I, th- I think we're I think we're worrying way too much about this and what Ronald Acuna is and where he is and everything else to 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 start making a big deal of this. Guys, they're going to be okay. I'm a little bit worried about Ian Anderson. He kind of sucks right now. Um. I'm a little bit worried about the starting pitching and the consistency of it, but I think that's fair. I'd like, believe it or not, I'd like for them to get down into the five-man rotation and see who's taking the ball every fifth day, and and work this thing out that way. That's what I'd like to see. To me, that's what I think is is the best case scenario for this team: is get these guys into a rhythm. And remember, the weather is starting to turn. Everybody's going to get warmer. Bats are going to start to warm up. Everybody's going to start to play to the back of the baseball card. This team is too good. To not play well. If they're struggling by Memorial Day still, then we can have a different conversation. Then we can have a let's get it in gear conversation. Remember, guys, they won the division last year by getting in first place. I think it was August 11th was when they got in the first place last year for the first time. Relax. It's a long baseball season. You're going to wear yourself out if you're if you're losing your mind at 7-10 seven after 17 games. Psst, there's going to be another stretch where they only win – seven out of 17 games throughout the year. There will be another one of those stretches. I can almost guarantee it. Don't be upset about this one. The good teams weather the storm and they do it well. So uh, yeah, I'm not worried about the Braves. I don't think there's any reason to worry about the Braves at this point in time. I feel comfortable with where the Atlanta Braves are uh, and what they're going to be able to do this year. Let's not rush Acuna back. There's plenty of time. He doesn't have to be up here now to win the MVP. He, he, He can still get... 150 games in if he comes up on May 6th like they planned for it. So don't sweat it. Too easy. All right, that'll do it for this Monday edition of A to Z. Again, give me a follow on Twitter at Mark Zino M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Thanks for making A to Z your first listen every day. Make your second listen. ATL Day 1's with Tanitra Batiste and Jarvis Davis. They speak to the heart of the city of Atlanta, whether it's Hawks, Falcons, Braves, Georgia Bulldogs, two friends just talking about all Atlanta sports, stepping into the conversation. ATL Day 1's part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta Network, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You guys have a wonderful Monday. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya.